So I feel pretty uneasy about these images. I, th I think because they're so unbelievably harsh and they offer such a small amount of context as to, you know, where, where they've come from and, you know, what they might actually be portraying. Um, and for me, since I work so often on documentaries and stories of people and the things that people do um, and the, the lives of people, this was a little bit of a, a change from what I'm used to, to, to show up in a zone and, and have there really only be one story, which is the story of fire in its most pure and elemental form. These are pictures from the Tubbs wildfire just outside of and then eventually in Santa Rosa, which is a, a city in California about two hours north of San Francisco. And I had actually been up in this region a few days before the fire started in, in early October of 2017. I was driving home through these very, very neighborhoods that these photos are, are shown in just the night before the fire started. And it may have actually started while we were driving, but we didn't know that yet. So I got home on a late Sunday night and started to see these images of Santa Rosa just burning. And the Tubbs fire, um, which they named because it started on Tubbs Road out at an old winery. Um, Cause this is, you know, a country where people grow a lot of grapes for wine um, and a lot of cannabis. So I got home and I, and I saw this fire had started and started seeing these images of just absolute and total devastation. Now it's been over two weeks and the fire's still burning, although it's mostly contained. I think it's 94% contained about two weeks in um, and 22 people have been killed and over 5,000 structures have been destroyed. And it's burned something like 36,000 acres as part of, you know, 12 massive fires that broke out in California in early October. Um, and this fire would go on to be the most destructive wildfire in California history. So I got home, I guess, uh, after after driving back from Santa Rosa, started seeing these images and, you know, my, my family's from Louisiana and I, I grew up partially in, in New Orleans. And I, I wasn't in New Orleans during Katrina and I wasn't with my family during Katrina. And although everybody in my family was able to evacuate from New Orleans, um, you know, because of the resources that they had available to them. Um, I, w I wasn't able to get to New Orleans until almost a year after Katrina. Um, and I remember I was in high school then, I think it was my senior or junior year of high school. And I remember seeing images from New Orleans um, and just having this incredibly profound feeling of loss and sorrow and just really, I really felt so far away and so helpless um, seeing all these people suffer in my city. And so when I started to see these images from Santa Rosa, and especially because I just live a couple hours away on the, on the coast in Bolinas, 
I just decided to throw some photo gear in the car and jump in the car and drive back up just to be there and just to see and, you know, try to volunteer and help out and, and really just to see what it felt like to be in that landscape. And for me, it was really, it was about this kind of healing process to put closure to this experience from, from almost exactly you know, a decade ago when I couldn't go to New Orleans, um, you know, and talking to friends of mine now from, from Puerto Rico who are not in Puerto Rico and can't get there right now, you know, and that feeling of just the, the surrealness um, of seeing that sort of suffering and, and wanting to help and wanting to be there and wanting to be a part of it, um, but just having to consume it through news and texts and tweets and Instagram posts. Um, and just that total alienation. So I got in the car and, and we'd had bad smoke down where I live in Marin. You know, you could you could taste it in the air and, and feel it in your lungs from the moment you woke up. It soaked into everything in the house. Um, and even driving in the car, you know, you could start to feel the air get thicker and darker um, and the sun was really blazing red. and. You know, and as you drive through Santa Rosa, you could start to see these little signs that something was really amiss. You know, you'd see a pickup truck with the back just full of clothes and water and gear. A huge line at the bank, a gas station out of gas. You know, but in some ways things, you know, felt pretty normal. There's always traffic in, in that part of California and, you know, folks are always moving supplies around. But, you know, as you started to drive up 101, First, I just saw a few singed, you know, signposts. Um, and then you just kind of move into this zone where on either side of the freeway, everything's basically burnt to the ground. And the police had cordoned off all these different sections of Santa Rosa because there was fear of looters, but then also because there was all these downed power lines that were super, super dangerous. I couldn't figure out where I could get off the freeway, and I, I hadn't coordinated it all in advance with you know, Cal Fire, which is uh, California's firefighting agency or any of the local police. And, you know, I wasn't there with a team or a producer or, or even on assignment. I just, you know, I just grabbed my gear and went. And I finally got up the nerve to get off one of these blocked on-ramps or off-ramps. And, you know, I parked about 100 feet away from the where the police officer was, you know, had flares and the cones all set up in the, the off-ramp block mostly because my car was just full of shit. It was full of camping shit and photo gear and whatever. And it just didn't look very professional. So I, I parked like, you know, about 100 feet away from him and put on my photo vest and pulled out my press pass that I had from the Olympics last year in Rio and took out my camera and walked over to the officer and said, you know. Good evening, sir. Where's the limit for where press can go? You know, I'm a photographer for XYZ. Can you let me know where the kind of outer limit is where I can go? And he said, oh, no, you know, we're only letting people go to the next stoplight, um, which is kind of like a long suburban block down the street. Okay, well, um, I'll just go to that intersection and shoot from there. Thank you very much. So I, I went back to the car and got in the car and drove to the next intersection where there was another cop. <laughs> this time I, I could see the beginning of this, of this neighborhood that I was going to end up shooting these images in, and everything was gone. 
and all the streets were empty because they were all blocked off in this kind of quarantine zone. So you would occasionally see a caravan of fire trucks driving by at 60 miles an hour with their lights on, you know, or a couple cop cars or, you know, occasionally a, a van would come down or a truck would come down with like an animal carrier. And I guess they were still evacuating some uh, horses and farm animals at that point. So. I went and parked my car in this uh, parking lot by this kind of strip mall that was partially burned. Drank a little bit of water and, you know, threw on a, a light respirator and just kind of walked into the neighborhood. And, and as I walked in the neighborhood, uh, another police officer kind of locking down this intersection came over and he was super friendly. So, so I just started kind of talking to him about, you know, how I was interested in shooting and he was pretty chill about it. So I figured, you know, I'd just chat him up for a minute and, uh, you know, hope that he felt comfortable with me being there. And then then I just started walking kind of deeper and deeper into this neighborhood. And I think the first thing that hits you is like, shit was still really hot. You know, the metal was still hot and there were still things smoldering and burning. And the smell of all the toxic materials that uh, American suburbs are built with, you know, of drywall and insulation and, you know, rubber and couches and all these synthetics just melting and burning with wood and, um, you know, really dark, thick, disgusting smoke and odor. But things were also just deadly quiet. Occasionally you'd hear a siren or crackling from a power line that was still on somewhere. But other than that, it was just absolutely, totally and completely silent. I think the first thing that stood out to me were the cars because they take on these kind of Frankenstein looks, you know, these Mad Max looks where they're totally burnt out. But, you know, a lot of the, the you know, siding or steel is still there. And you see all this melted aluminum by the wheel wells and, you know, see where gas tanks blew up because all the, you know, the gas, uh, the little flap or whatever where, the, where you put the gas in are all open looking at the, the glass on the windshields like melted down over the front of the, the hood of the cars. So that was kind of a point of focus for me, especially because it's something that we think of, you know, often as so clean and so new and shiny. And so to see that like really in its total destruction was something that was kind of drawing me again and again to take pictures of these cars. And then you look at the remains of these houses and there's just, you know, maybe some lawn furniture and a fireplace and part of a you know, washer-dryer set, and uh, that's about it, you know, and maybe some ceramics, a lot of, uh, you know, high high burn ceramics that people use in their garden and stuff obviously survived because they, they got made in a, in a super hot kiln. I got there in the afternoon and just started walking around, really trying to feel out the element of the fire and feel out the lives of these people who's, who lost everything. day trying to get some money out and uh, this guy walked in and he ran into a buddy and his buddy said hey man how are you doing and the guy looked at him and looked down and he said these tennis shoes and shorts and this sweatshirt and my gun safe and a couple of documents is just about the only thing that I have left I thought about what that must feel like you know to spend your whole life accumulating all this shit and then 
wake up one day and all you got left is a couple guns, your passport, some banking info, and like a, a pair of new balances. Walking around, I think I was flooded with a lot of a lot of the emotions from from my experience from Katrina and my family's displacement and the you know thousands of folks who who unfortunately you know died and lost their homes during Katrina and then thousands of folks who were losing their homes right where I was walking and, and what would eventually be I think something like 22 or 30 people who've now died in this fire. As far as I can tell, mostly you know elderly folks who couldn't get out of their homes fast enough or. You know, folks who somehow didn't get the late night notification that there was a fire going in 40 mile an hour winds kind of straight at them. And then was just kind of doing doing what I do, which is just working with the camera and moving around, trying to see what kind of drew me forward and, you know, taking time to reflect on it all. Saw a couple of families coming back to survey the damage. Um, I'm not sure how they made it through the police lines because at that point, you know, people weren't supposed to be allowed back to check things out because it was still a pretty active fire situation not too far away. And I decided just to give those people like a wide berth. You know, I had seen a lot of images, this kind of classic post-disaster image of, you know, the person checking the mailbox or walking through the wreckage or, you know, holding a loved one. And I just... I thought that experience for them was so personal that, that I didn't need to go and ask them if I could intervene with my camera or, you know, make them kind of perform their, their sorrow and loss. Um, so I just gave those people as much space as I could so that, you know, they could have the personal experience that they wanted to have there. And, and I think for me too, just as a challenge to, to think about how you might represent these things, you know, without people, just, just as objects, just as this entire neighborhood, you know, absolutely destroyed, almost nothing salvageable. It was interesting for just thinking about ideas of, you know, breaking news versus, you know, work that kind of stands alone or, or has a longer life. And I, I think when I shoot things that are related to the news cycle, I try to make work that feels timeless or, or at least has a longer shelf life than, you know, kind of that night's news and just something that's going to illustrate a point. I'm trying to make work that, that I want to live with and inhabit and come back to and, and it has a real sense of power and presence and work that, you know, would make sense in some sort of physical manifestation and kind of not just scrolled through in the feed. I came back and, and felt really, really powerful about this work. I felt like as a surfer who spends a lot of time in the ocean, I was confronting this other element. You know, it's like I spend so much time with wind and water, and here I was with fire and earth really seeing what this very natural, very normal, very powerful force looks like when it confronts human hubris and the endless expanse of, you know, conquested, colonized land and big, big houses full of stuff. You know, which isn't isn't to reduce the loss of any of these people, but just to say, what does it mean to think about all these lifetimes of accumulation, you know, just kind of reduced to an insurance check. And that kind of ended up being the biggest meditation for me for the day was just thinking about what we leave behind and also what we what we accumulate and bring around us and hope that, you know, some of these images help folks reflect on that, but also bring people to a kind of reflective or meditative state on the 
the materials that surround them and uh, the choices that we make every day about the things that we consume and use and live with and how those things kind of relates back to the earth and you know some of the more natural cycles that this planet seems to increasingly be demanding that we pay attention to.